Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror, and this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E N C E. L-A-D-U-S literary.com Thanks, now on with the show Welcome to Hindsight is 2020 A show where we look at anything in this world And arrogantly say how we'd fix it And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic These two idiots We give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Hello, Freddy. You're looking healthy? Chinstrap, what happened? You run out of stoolies to do your work? All right, look, we're in a pickle again and we need your help. Got some people trapped inside a dream. Told you a long time ago. I gave that up. There's some good men stuck in there. I said I'm done with it. Everything all right, Fred? It's fine, babe. Get back in the house. Wife and kids. No thanks to you. We need you, Fred. Like you needed me to kill those teenagers to stop the Russians? We had a country to protect. Protect it yourselves this time. Damn it, I'm not working for the military anymore, Kruger. Then you should have no problem covering it up. With your host, Pete. You'll pay for this. With your children's blood! All right, how are you going to get them? Skeleton power? I'll strike where you cannot protect them. In their dreams. And Greg. Credit that. I've got them eaten out of my hand. But wait, there's more. And I ain't talking about a money-back lysomatic offer either. <laughs> And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Check out the awesome in-store onslaught we've whipped up. Right. Video stores are in for their biggest nightmare ever, beginning with Freddy's arrival on this ghastly in-store banner. What a profile. A traffic-stopping wall poster. Colorful, huh? (laughs) A hair-raising 3D poster for your special media light box. Disgusting enough for you, huh? And a monstrous, larger-than-life floor display, guaranteed to have your customers screaming for... Hey, who else? Uh, nice, uh, nice life, Plus, Freddy's got a killer contest under his hat that's guaranteed to cause an Elm Street traffic jam in your store. 
announcing Freddy's Be In My Nightmare Sweepstakes. The grand prize, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to appear on screen with Freddy in the upcoming Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Are we uh, ready? Freddy? (laughs) 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 Oh, God, the horror. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pun. Do you hear that? That's the sound of your worst nightmare. Silence. Silence. Oh, oh God. (laughs) Silence Silence and finger knives scratching. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wait. Do the two actually go together? Uh, well, sure, because you've got silence and nightmares and dreams and landscapes and... But can you have silence with this, the clicking of the finger knives? I don't know. Maybe those lambs are screaming, wait, wrong horror movie. Oh. Oh. Shut that dog up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are, we are in the land of nightmares because we are recording in October and thinking, well, we have to do a horror movie or a series or something somewhere along the ri- a line here. Yeah. And um, it's not really your big, huge genre. And I'm not really monstrous into it, but I've just by happenstance seen a lot of all of the famous horror movies. And uh, we are going to cover Nightmare on Elm Street. And. It's kind of unfocused because maybe we're going to say... Uh, <laughs> kind of like the series that we're talking about. Exactly. Kind of focused. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, it's, that's fantastic. It, it's just, we're going to, I guess, tackle this from the aspect of redoing the reboot that came out in 2010, but maybe a little bit of a look back on the series and where I'm coming from on the Nightmare on Elm Street series personally is that... I just knew of them as a kid, and I think as I, as I mentioned before on this damn thing, is that I I'm the youngest of four boys. So growing up, I saw a lot of things that people my age now, if my nieces and nephews were to tell their parents, "Oh, I'm seven years old and I watched Nightmare on Elm Street," yay! My brother or sister in laws would freak the f out. <laughs> but I, I did. You can curse on here, I think. Well, fuck that noise. So All right. <laughs> I, I was seven when I saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. And yeah, so it, those movies are a part of my childhood because my oldest brother uh, really, really had an affinity for Freddy and for Nightmare on Elm Street. And every Halloween, he'd dress up as Freddy and he loved Halloween. And so just by osmosis, I saw the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and it wasn't until many years ago, now, like four, when the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot was coming out in 2010 that I started listening to the Now Playing podcast, and they did, you know, the run-up of all the movies. And that's going to be a prescient statement there because... I'm talking to Captain Thunderballs in Columbus over here who mm. hasn't really seen any of the movies, and yet <laughs> how has he done his research for Nightmare on Elm Street? Tell him. Um, you I, to I, think it, I think it was by by watching The Simpsons and Groundskeeper Willie and Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> <laughs> or just catching up on Now Playing. Yeah, or, or that. I, it's, it's hard to say at this point, but... I, 
seriously, I think that was kind of my in, honestly, with the, it's like, I obviously knew about Freddy. I went to, you know, different haunted house stuff as a kid and Freddy was always in haunted houses and everything like that. Uh, gotta say to this day, I still have only seen one of these movies all the way through. I saw it in the theater. Um, and I've seen bits and pieces of a lot of them. I can probably pick out a scene or two from the first two movies, and then it's a total blur for me. Um, so yeah, I I kind of kind of went to school on this uh, particular series a little bit over the last week or so. So, well, I mean, my my only real knowledge of the series comes from the fact that I listened to those podcasts over and over again, and it just reiterated some of the memories I have of the movies from from childhood, but I didn't love them. I didn't like them. I've seen them all now again, and I still really don't care too much for them, but there's just some sort of odd affinity. Then I guess, I guess it just goes to the core of our entire podcast is that all these different things that we keep bringing up, Goonies and Quantum Leap, it all just stems from stuff we watched as a kid that we're looking at now. And oh God, we are pop culture junkies. We are like <laughs> we are the epitome of I loved it as a kid. Is it still good now? That's kind of what we're doing. And Nightmare is just that different take because I didn't really love it as a kid. I just it was just there. And it was this interesting psychological experiment of was I really scared of it as a kid? Should I have seen that kind of stuff when I was that young? Do I and it was just very interesting for this maybe about 10 years ago when AMC started doing their their Halloween October run all the old horror movies and instead of running the classics they'd run like Halloween 4 and 5 incessantly and it just became interesting for me to go back to all these movies that I knew of as a child was vaguely aware of and it was like this weird treasure trove of Stuff that existed that I should know about, but I had no memories of. So it was always like uncovering or discovering something where it's like there's just an endless amount here to to uncover and discover. It's kind of like a a TV series that you start watching. You're like, God, I got so much of this that I can watch. And there's nothing really good. Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. They're, none of them are great movies, but for some reason... They hold sway over pop culture, and specifically to the decade of the 80s when, and we'll get into it, but man, why in the decade of the 80s did pop culture suddenly make these slasher serial killers such icons that everyone knew about these fictional killers for some reason. Well, well maybe maybe it was a reflection of some of the high profile murder stuff that had happened in that time period. The crime rate was definitely higher statistically in the eighties, especially the violent crime rate. Um, you know, you had I, th- I think some of it was just the spread of mass media. People were more aware of, like, serial killers. You'd had the Manson killings in the early 70s. I mean, I think this stuff was just, whether conscious or unconscious, I think it was just kind of out there and more broadly out there, perhaps, than in previous uh, times and everything because of the purveyance of mass media. I'm going to blame it on that or lay it on that. Well, but... I, I blame Reagan. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, I blame Ollie North. Um, 
I just it's just an interesting cultural experiment. Some professional psycho psychotherapist should actually tell us what 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 is the reasoning and and is it pop I, culture informing the uh is it media informing the pop culture or is it pop culture informing the media because you know the the, the kind of the granddaddy of all these type of movies would be Psycho in 1960. Sure. And then you had uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a couple of other grittier things in the mid-70s. One of them, you know, Wes Craven did a couple of them himself. Mm-hmm. But then you had, so if you had the granddaddy in 1960, then you had basically the daddy of these movies was the original Halloween in 1978. And... I think what we're going to get into here on more than one occasion when we talk more about Nightmare is that, and and we've talked about this so many times in different movies that we've talked about, the original Halloween was a one-off movie that made a crap ton of cash for the Akkad family producers to where, you know what we need to do? Make a sequel. And John Carpenter, who was the director and writer and creator, sat down and said, "Holy shit! I got nothing. We got nothing left, man. <laughs> that was just, that was it." So suddenly, you know, the Halloween series goes on for eight, nine, ten more movies, stretching out off of something that he himself and some random backstory like behind the scenes thing said oh crap uh we'll make jamie lee curtis his uh sister sure why not and and that really fed an entire movie series and nightmare on elm street the original which we're here to talk about uh 1984 west craven wrote it directed it had extreme difficulty getting financing for it. New Line Cinema, which eventually became known as the house that Freddie built, New Line Cinema was an absolute nothing little boutique movie company somewhere on the streets of New York. And if there was an equivalent to that version of New Line Cinema today, most likely it would be some guy who has a small office in some suburb where he does wedding videos. That's how small New Line Cinema was. And they mm-hmm. bought they bought it. They put all their money and all their eggs into it. And eventually all the sequels made New Line Cinema a household name in Hollywood. So. Yeah. And and I think uh, kind of going back to the original point that you were making and exploring why <laughs> this came about. What I was about, rambling? <laughs> just why it came about, when it came about, and everything like that. I mean, I think if you look back at horror in any decade or generation, you know, it always speaks to, on some level, uh, the fears of the time. And then there's also the fact that, okay, well, this formula seems to work, so you get a bunch of imitation stuff cropping up all over the place, too. So, um, yeah. kind of the purveyance of the mindless serial killer uh, monster thing in the 80s, part of that was just, hey, wait, these guys are making money? We want to make some money. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I we, think we're going to go with the serial killer, too. Yeah, I think it definitely comes down to that more than it does to some cultural touchstone. Sure. I mean, it is a very interesting thought to to wind your way through of oh, why did these serial killers and what did that say about our culture? But, yeah, I think Halloween made a bunch of money. 
Then Friday the 13th was made because Halloween made a bunch of money. And again, these are made by all these people who know each other. Mm-hmm. Sean Cunningham didn't know John Carpenter, but he thought, man, I really need to make some money and look at them. So he made Friday the 13th, which then, oh, God, we can make these for a million dollars and make $10 million on our opening weekend? Why are we <laughs> yeah. not doing this? That's the other thing about horror movies. <laughs> They're kind of like weeds. <laughs> and then eventually Wes Craven comes along, and I think he was friends with Sean Cunningham and helped, I think Sean Cunningham somewhere on the line helped him get funding or something. But eventually, you know, Wes Craven made A Nightmare on Elm Street, and he says by his own, his own admission, again, it was meant to be a, a movie. The title of the first movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's not, you know, a nightmare to be spun off on more Elm Streets. It's A Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, we'll just dip in, spoilers be damned, it's Nancy's Nightmare. So Nancy, the lead character of the first movie, it's it is her nightmare and his idea was that when it's over she fought her demons goes off to live happily ever after and bob shea the head of new line cinema said no 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 no. we need to leave this open for a potential sequel so we can franchise this because we need to make more money (laughs) so that's when they stuck in the random ridiculously stupid ending of (laughs) pulling a mannequin really quick through a very tiny window in a front door uh, so that Freddy's back but it it was meant to be a singular movie and then it took several movies after that for them to actually realize what they had but they still have never taken the I guess you want to say the promise of the original character that he had has never really been brought to any satisfying fruition 100% of the way. There's been some highs, there's been some lows, but there's never been one point where the character of Freddy Krueger is, there you go, that's exactly what that character needed to be, and now you're done with that story. It was just stretched out without really grasping exactly what we've got, but damn it, we got to have another movie out next year, so just run with it. Stretched out like Freddy puppet arms. Oh yeah, <laughs> like midget with Freddy puppy arm, puppet arms in the first movie. <laughs> and the first movie definitely was made on the cheap. Lots and lots of cheap things. I mean, the 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 one thing I remember just the physical practicality of the cheapness, as I recall watching it, even as a kid. Maybe not the first time I saw it, but one of the subsequent times is the first movie. There's a a sequence where uh, Freddy's on fire and chasing Nancy through the house and chasing him upstairs, chasing her upstairs, and she kicks him off the stairs like this is residential stairs, and I just remember seeing this as a kid going, oh, so why is there a big bed mattress on the floor of the living room at that house? Because <laughs> everyone keeps those there. Uh-oh. Because it was not like, oh, there's a corner of a mattress. It's like, oh, no. In full frame, that figure just landed on a big-ass mattress and right in dead center frame. Like, oh, oh, that's bad. That's really cheap. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was made on a shoestring, but it had a bit of a grindhouse feel to it. So it, it kind of worked. 
Let's talk about the character of Freddy because I've I've got questions after doing my little homework here assignment and everything like that, and you being more of more connected with the series than me might have some insights or opinions on this that I just don't have. So, uh, I guess the first thing I was kind of wondering was: it sounds like at different points and in different iterations, they've gone back and tried to tell the story of Freddy when he was alive but it's always been pretty short or in brief little flashbacks or stuff like that is that correct yeah or really really off the fucking wall is what it's been okay or that (laughs) again you're you're talking about a one-off movie and we'll go we'll go back again to Wes Craven's initial inspiration and I know this pretty well cuz I just read interviews about this very recently and that his inspirations were a couple of different points number 1 he read some stories in a newspaper about a teenager who was so terrified of nightmares he was having that he was trying to force himself to stay awake and he was having serious insomnia problems so his parents brought him to a a specialist and a doctor and gave him pills and then at some point he actually had such a horrible nightmare that his parents found him dead in bed with a heart with heart failure and he was like 18 years old so i guess he was so terrified by his nightmare and they found like a coffee maker under his bed and he hadn't been taking the pills because he was afraid to go to sleep so that really spun him off and then the other thing is that he had an image when he was a kid, Wes Craven did, mm-hmm. uh, that he lived in uh, he lived in a city somewhere, and you know he said his one of the windows in his apartment or his house or whatever was next to an alleyway and was close enough that when he looked out the window as a kid, people were always walking up and down this alley, and he said one time he looked out. And he just saw a creepy guy with a hat, which back in the day when he was a kid, everyone wore those fedora hats. Sure. And he said the guy just kind of looked up at him, caught his eye, and just kind of gave him a really creepy smile. And so I guess that image stuck with Wes Craven, and that was what he went with, and mm. then created everything else based off of that. Okay. So the Freddy Krueger character in the backstory, I mean, it was touched on briefly, and it was made pretty mystical it was he murdered children in the neighborhood so parents banded together okay give the full backstory for someone who has no idea what the hell nightmare yeah lead on us here what do you got i mean it's nothing more than that it's the the idea from the first movie is fred krueger was a child murderer who killed about 20 kids in the neighborhood so he got off on some technicality that the district attorney failed to do something or another so he wasn't put in bars. He was set free. So a bunch of parents banded together like an angry mob, came together, and found Freddy in some boiler room that he worked at and burned him alive. Set the place on fire, burned him alive. And so now Freddy Krueger is a dream demon coming back to terrorize the children of all the parents who burned him alive uh, in their dreams, in their nightmares. Okay. 
Plot hole number one. <laughs> How are these kids still here when he supposedly killed these kids? Yes. Well, there there's apparently lots of gaps and ages and stuff like that with with these characters and everything along those lines. Um, but it, my impression is that they never really, and I think they tried to go back and retcon some of this, but they never really established. I don't think any good reason why this guy would come back. I mean, I almost feel like if you were going to go back and do this and you're going to go through the trouble of showing him when he was alive in any way, shape, or form, it's like, well, set up something. I don't care if it's like he was a witch doctor part-time or whatever, but I mean, something that would explain why this guy of, you know, all the violent killers out there or whatever why did he come back and why did why does he have these powers <laughs> and where did he go <laughs> and why is there only one <laughs> george carlin uh -huh. well it took six movies for them to come up with something and again it's such a different era it's amazing how we're only talking about just the mid to late 80s here and yet from a storytelling perspective, from what we get now on TV and movies versus logic wise versus what we got back then, it's it's amazing how the more episodes we do of this show, the more I realize how different a world we live in where they just really grasp at things to glue together in order to say, OK, we got to write this and create it and let's go. And didn't put a whole lot of thought into these. It was more of, well, we just got to give them, give them a show and let them see something. They won't go back and talk about this 25 years later. Oh, whoops. No. What losers. Oh, oh God. <laughs> but it's just amazing. I mean, it's amazing to me that there is such mythology around the character, but the mythology is so thin. It's yeah, so paper it seemed thin. pretty thin. <laughs> but again, it was a one-off, cheapo movie. So sure. again, all of this has to be based on the caveat of that problem that this was never designed to be a series of movies. This was designed to be a singular movie, a nightmare by Nancy that was wrapped up at the end so Wes Craven could have some sort of psychological talk because the man was like a psychology professor before he started making movies. So he wasn't even a film student. Okay. So, it, yeah, they, they eventually get around to giving him some big grand mythology in part three, which mm -hmm. everyone and anyone said, that's Dream Warriors says that's probably the pinnacle of Freddy. Like, it, it, as far as 1980s, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, you're going to think of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. You're going to think of Dokken and the song, and it was on MTV <laughs> all the time, and it was the first major release. It was co-written by uh, Frank Darabont, who went on to do Shawshank Redemption and The Green mm -hmm. Mile and Walking Dead. So... It, there was eventually a story created for Freddy was the son of a hundred maniacs, and he was the son of a a nun who got locked into an insane asylum one weekend with all of the inmates running rampant and got raped repeatedly, and uh, and then you know the part five, I think, either part five or part no part six, they started actually doing 
flashback scenes of Freddy, and instead of some psycho hermit or something like that, he was portrayed as having a small family <laughs> living like Ozzy and Harriet in Springwood <laughs> with a daughter and then he was in high school with Alice Cooper as his dad or something and he tortured rat it was just so wacky and stupid <laughs> uh, I mean there was a awful TV show because again the cash cow that these things were and when you're talking the late 80s oh yeah when you're talking the late eight, I mean, now you're talking, you got a movie series. I mean, let's just use an equivalent like what's of the vernacular now. So we think of Marvel. Marvel Films right now has movies. Then they can create a TV show on ABC, which can have a website, which can talk about it while they have the comic books out. And then they're going to have more shows on Netflix to talk about Marvel while they have cartoons on another network. So all this cross-synergy stuff to talk about the movies and Marvel and everything, well, when you're talking the late 80s, mid-80s, you have the movies and the VHS sales and then toys and T-shirts and posters and maybe the movie soundtrack. And the other ancillary that this and Friday the 13th did was syndicated TV because, again, you had NBC, CBS, ABC, and then very, very late in the game, Fox. But you had a lot of TV shows that were not sold as an ABC 8 o'clock on Thursday night show. They were sold as, you know, you in Cincinnati and Columbus and Dayton, you can pay for these shows and you'll run them on whatever channel you want at 1 a.m. on a Saturday or something. So Sure. So Friday the 13th had the, sh the series. They sold syndicated and eventually became stuff more famous like Xena and Hercules in the 90s were more famously syndicated shows. But there was Freddy's Nightmares, and it was god-awful. I mean, it was so bad. Uh, the Crypt Keeper drop in from time to time and talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Crypt Keeper was Elvira kind of, show up. <laughs> sure. I think Crypt Keeper was kind of like that, but I think Crypt Keeper was actually an HBO show. Yeah, I think it was. But, yeah, Freddy's Nightmares, apparently there was some brief, 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 brief moment of an episode where it was Robert Englund, the actor who played Freddy, out of makeup, in court, and it was like, it was like the People's Court took a day off of shooting and Freddy's <laughs> Nightmares had 30 minutes to shoot in their set. That's kind of what it looked like because I've seen it on YouTube. It was really bad. But, yeah, they had the, the backstory stuff was all over the place. And we can't even talk about Wes Craven's new nightmare because that's just nut job bonkers off okay, off the we'll rails. Leave that, we'll leave that off the table. And then you get to Freddy versus Jason and that talks about how he was just a child killer and it was very briefly touched on but it was more about the action then. Yep. Uh, but the one thing that in the miracle of the late 80s, early 90s uh, if you want to call it logic, I guess is and this has to do more with how studios worked back then cuz simultaneously with Nightmare on Elm Street every year we were getting a new Friday the 13th movie with Jason and Halloween was trying to keep up as well and then Hellraiser was starting to make movies and then Child's Play with Chucky the Doll I mean it was just all over the place oh yeah so what it was happening is that Paramount 
was getting really sick of diminishing returns for Friday the 13th. Because if we think Nightmare on Elm Street was running into the ground trying to have a <laughs> hockey fa- hockey mask killer who doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything except kill people at campgrounds, there was a not, and they were on number nine. Oh no, he suffered from Jaws syndrome. Oh god, it was so bad. And Paramount was getting sick, so they actually sold the rights to New Line Cinema. So New Line and all of their magical wisdom, and we think again, we live in such a world of magic and wonder now. Because we have Marvel Studios getting together, planning out movies intricately and how they'll all be interwoven and tied together for the next decade. And yet the thought at New Line Cinema was, let's pay to get the rights to the character of Jason from Friday the 13th. And let's make a movie called Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare in 1991, I think. And let's tie them together because we want to make a movie called Freddy vs. Jason... So let's, The one I have seen all the way through. But this is 1991 when they were talking about this, and they said, let's go ahead, and if people have ever seen this, oh, my God, I YouTube a little clip of it. What they came up with was that there were these three, oh, my God, I don't, what do you want to call them? Worm-like little flying demon things that were like these little puppets that came out of like Sid and Marty Croft from the 70s cartoons or whatever. And they flew into Freddy when he was getting burnt alive and said, when you die, we're the demons that are going to allow you to live on and torture your... Like, basically, some sort of hellish demon spawn sperm whatever. (laughs) So he was was infected by... Demon sperm? I get. I don't know. There were, <laughs> there were these three flying puppets. Okay. That kind of flew into his chest in a burst of light, and I'm guessing that what that meant was, okay, these demons have chosen Freddy upon the moment of his death to allow him to live on and never die, and that was how they explained it in complete retcon. And what happened? is that two years later, they made a new line cinema, now with the rights to Jason, made uh, Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. And lo and behold, what happens is that when Jason gets uh, killed or whatever, these three floaty sperm demon things fly into Jason. <laughs> a lot of that going around. <laughs> so that he can live forever. And that's how they were going to tie him together, is that they both are these agents of these demon sperm that can live forever to fight on and never die. And that was how they were going to bring him together. And then it took another 10 years to to try and figure out how to bring these two together on a, on a, on a movie. A dream demon and just a mindless mute slow kid in the woods how are you going to bring these two together and have them fight or something but that was their that was that was the plan sperm demon things are going to infect you so you can live forever and be agents of demons and there's a seed of a germ of a little tiny good idea there that just didn't go anywhere plot hole number two (laughs) (laughs) so uh, this is 
this is a half an hour of Nightmare on Elm Street rambling here before we even get to anything. So before I even go there, so mm. you you only saw Freddy versus Jason, and that yes. was when you saw it in a the theater with me. Yes. All right. And I, I've seen, like I said, bits and pieces of some of, the, I think, the earlier ones. But, yeah, um, I don't think I've ever seen any of the other ones, like, all the way through. Um, something else that really has all, always kind of bugged me with this particular series, and it was something that was kind of reiterated to me. Why is this guy, if he's got all of these powers, why is he so hemmed in by geography? Yeah, that's There you go. What? What's that? You've got the supernatural ability to invade people's dreams? That's scary. Oh, wait. But if we cross this magical city line, <laughs> you are powerless. Oh, uh, and that was covered in Freddy's Dead as well, where there was just some magical 1991 digital wall around Springwood. It's like, oh, I'm not yeah. strong enough to get out of here. I'm like, uh, what? Yeah, no, that's what? No, no. I, again, you that, go back that to takes they never the terror out of it. <laughs> it was just not. There were some ideas that just never got right, and we come all the way full circle back to. Okay, so it's 2010. We got mm-hmm. Platinum Dunes, the production company helmed by one Mister Michael Basin Jr. the <laughs> third. He of such high drama as Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, and. The island, amongst other fine tropes. Mm. And they had already done a reboot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Beale. Then they did a sequel to that, and they thought, wow, we can just recycle these old slasher movies and make a bunch of money. So, what's next? Friday the 13th. Ooh, we'll do that. Hey, we made a crap ton of money. But no one liked it, and it tanked in its second weekend of release. So we didn't do that. Ooh, what do we got next? Ooh, let's do Amityville Horror. Oh, I'm sorry. Go backtrack. They did Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds, and I think that went nowhere as well. But, I don't even remember that coming out. Okay, go on. That was like 2005 oh, okay. or right. something. Had Melissa George from Alias in it as well. Gotcha. So that tanked. Friday the 13th didn't go anywhere. Uh, of course... Well, we got Freddy. Let's do Nightmare on Elm Street. We reboot that. And this is that's coming back to where I said in 2010, I was actually looking forward to it because I thought, ooh, you could really do some things here. And what we talked about earlier with Halloween, that was not Platinum Dunes, but that also got in on the act at the same time when 2007 Rob Zombie did a remake of Halloween. And that spawned a sequel in 2009 but what was different about the Rob Zombie Halloween whether people like it or not or you like Rob Zombie's style or not his really brutal brutal style well he is more human than human well sure (laughs) but what he did with Halloween is that he got you, you could see where the studio invaded his remake of Halloween because for the first half of the movie, it's almost split evenly down the middle where you have one half of this movie is who was Michael Myers as a child? How did he come to be? How is he a psychopath? How did he grow up? What was he like in the mental institution? And then the second half of Halloween 2007 
is an exact replica of the movie from 1978 that the studio said, no, 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 you have to remake the first movie. So it seemed like he was more interested in the first half than the second half, and he just kind of moved through the paces. Gotcha. And the reason that was different from the first Halloween is because the first Halloween, John Carpenter, his idea was let's get a little tinge of supernatural to this story and leave it hanging at the end, not for a sequel, but for effect, in that he's the shape of evil. Like, evil incarnate has invaded this human being's body and cannot be stopped. So he's no longer Michael Myers. He's now the shape of evil. So in the script, it was he is the shape. He wasn't Michael Myers. And then you have a series of movies, so you have to suddenly say, well... The guy's got a name, and it's not Wayne Campbell or Austin Powers, Michael Myers. It's Michael Myers the killer. We got to give him a backstory. And that just kept going. So Rob Zombie decided, well, let's see what that backstory is. So leading up to 2010 and Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, everybody and their brother who cared anything about this movie, including me, thinking, all right, either they're going to go, the first half is going to be backstory of Freddy, and then they're going to do something now. Or it's going to be interstitial with, you know, flashbacks kind of Soderbergh style or Batman Begins style where we're back and forth between present and past. And just to blow it out now, the reason why the 2010 reboot was so disappointing, the background story of Freddy Krueger was approximately maybe three minutes of screen time. It was really, really awful and how it was just ignored and the movie ended up being almost a shot for shot remake of the first movie for no reason like why are you doing this over again when you have such fertile ground to do something different and yet all they did was retread a movie from 1984 and they didn't do it well that's fancy i liked it but oh oh god (laughs) (laughs) well we're gonna have to talk about a reboot of psycho But that was the main problem and why... I think they're doing that. I think it's called Bates Motel. (laughs) I think they already beat us to it. Oh, damn it. And they got a whole mythology and mystery surrounding it. So there you go. But yeah, the reboot of Nightmare failed miserably. They're not doing a sequel. Jackie Earl Haley is a talented actor, but he just wasn't right for the role. Uh, or they didn't give him the good material to deal with. But really what I would come down to, because this is just a whole series of me talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, is that a reboot of that should be like the Rob Zombie Halloween, where here is who Freddy Krueger was when he was alive. Here's what his day was like. Here's what happened when he... um, seduced a child or killed them or whatever uh, because that's the other thing about the Freddy Krueger mythos originally he was a pedophile who then killed the kids that he dealt with so to speak now this, this is in the 2010 version or well, or, no originally originally Wes Craven had him as a pedophile okay uh, but uh, I think New Line Cinema kind of is like uh, no <laughs> So it just ended up being he's a child killer. But all along, you kept getting the thought of, well, why would he just go to these kids and kill them? It really seems like they're tiptoeing around the fact that he was probably... I can't leave town. He's got to do something. 
Yeah, he's probably <laughs> <laughs> just can't get out of Springwood, oh, Ohio. That's why I'm so angry. Oh God, <laughs> I just can't escape. He was, he was Clark Griswold going around. <laughs> just can't get left. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what they dealt with in the new in the reboot is because it was always tap danced around that eh, you kind of think he was a pedophile. But they never mentioned it because it was just so gross. So they tried it to go there, but then they tried to simultaneously, while going there in the reboot, pull back and say, whoa, he touched little kids, but he's still doing jokey puns in the dreams before he kills you in crazy ways. Isn't that funny? While he, we also realized that all of these teenagers he's going after have repressed memories of being... Um, Touched inappropriately when they were five. It's isn't that funny, guys? Huh? Huh? That that adds another layer. I don't know if it's a layer that you want to delve into. <laughs> no, as they say on the now playing podcast version of this, this is not somebody you want to see your brother dressing up as for Halloween. Uh, no, <laughs> because suddenly he's completely changed. So I guess the question is: is the fundamental start is do you? keep him as just simply a child murderer and go from there and keep a little bit of the mythology of he's the son of a hundred maniacs and he grew up as a, a bad kid or something which again they did really poorly in part six or do you go with the pedophile route make it really creepy and make this a true nightmare that these teenagers have to overcome um which really is the way they did it in the reboot is what they should have gone further with is that these kids are trying to overcome the memories of the awful things that happened to them when they were five and six. And the source of this was this burnt up dude that's in their dreams and just make it a dream demon. But then again, you're talking about money men who say, well, you can't just make an allegorical dream demon. He has to be Freddy the killer who comes back sequel after sequel. Do we need Freddy to come back? <laughs> well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something that again I I think gets a kind of the heart of some of the unevenness of the series and everything, and something that comes up frequently on this podcast. Uh, tone. Does Freddy work better when he's being the cracking the puns and the jokes and that kind of stuff or does he work better when yeah there's some actual menace to him and uh you're un, un made uncomfortable rooting for or following what this guy is doing you know a true horror figure well he was definitely he definitely gained his fame being the I mean, for God's sakes, he hosted, what was it, uh, MTV for like half an hour? He, host, he hosted MTV's greatest hits or something in the late 80s, full character makeup and stuff. So, Well, he apparently made an album on which he sings, so yeah. <laughs> which is just awful. Go listen to Now Playing for that one. Uh, maybe that's my answer to the whole thing. You listen to Now Playing, talk about these movies in greater in depth while I say... The reboot should have just simply been the story of Freddy Krueger, a killer or a pedophile, and how he got locked away or the court system screwed him, and his parents got together and burnt him alive, and then he comes back as a dream 
uh, you know, as a as a boogeyman. I mean, if you want to go supernatural, then go supernatural with it. Make him the boogeyman that's in these kids' dreams and realizes he's gaining power and he can go throughout the world and find out some way of how you have to stop this freaking dream demon that is infecting kids all across the world. Well, and that's I think that's the the power of the character potentially and everything. Personally, I don't really care if you know they make him a pedophile, don't make him a pedophile. If if they show the parents burning him, don't show the parents burning him, that kind of thing. The the promise, the scare is in the fact that yeah, everybody obviously goes to sleep and if you're being stalked by some power that is very difficult to fight on a subconscious level, and the subconscious is such a tricky thing. I, I don't feel like they ever fully embrace that premise. Well, then what they need to do right there is we're rebooting this thing. I'd skip the whole pedophile thing. He is just simply a killer. Yeah. He just, was just not, not just a child killer. He was a killer. Yeah. And he was like a mass murderer in the town who... I mean, this is freaking Charles Manson and Ted Bundy living in this town, and they discover what he did, but some slimy lawyer get him gets him off on a cheapo technicality that pit, that you the only reason you could explain that some suburban parents I mean you could never imagine suburban parents putting a mob together unless it is some guy who definitively killed like two hundred people in town they gang up he's off on a technicality everyone is so pissed off that they're gonna just burn this son of a bitch alive where he stands burn him in his car or something when he's leaving the courthouse so that when he's burnt to a crisp it just becomes a strict straight up revenge story where he somehow mystically gets the evil ability to invade people's dreams and what he's going to do is revenge on the parents who killed him. He's going to kill their kids in their sleep. That is primeval and fucked up. That's how you can make him an evil character without going into pedophile land. You just make him a straight-up killer demon guy who has now suddenly gotten the power to invade dreams and what is he going to do he's going to invade the dreams of the kids of the people who killed him rightfully basically but he is just so far on the side of evil and wrong that this is his way of going about it and then you can have some of the i don't know the arnold schwarzenegger james bondy kind of things where when he's killing you in the dreams there's so many mystical or just loopy ways that things can happen in the unreality of a dream world yeah go talk about a chance to go crazy with special effects go crazy with special effects dreams are crazy yeah and that the kills then if if you know the people who go to horror movies that are looking for the the crazy kills so they can ooh and oh well, they can do that with these crazy, psychedelic, out-of-this-world dream kills that Freddy does. And he would, we would know this guy is a bad dude. He was a killer when he was alive, and he is just simply back for revenge. None of this stuff that they did in the 2010 reboot of 
there was a good 20 minutes of the movie spent going, wait, was Freddy an innocent man burnt accidentally? Oh, man, that he's now he's coming back for revenge that he rightfully deserves. No, you make him a bad dude who can have some fun while he's killing, but don't go jokey Looney Tunes, a Wicked Witch of the West joke, <laughs> which is just what? Just he's a bad dude who has this ability and then if you want to do a series of movies, the series can be built on him. I mean, him, Freddie should not have all the knowledge in the world, even though he's been given this gift, so to speak, of surviving through people's dreams. He should be given the ability to learn that he, he doesn't know everything right off the bat. That's what I guess what I'm getting to. So he actually learns as we go along, wait, I don't have to kill just these kids. I can go all over the world. Anybody who's sleeping, I can get to them too. And he's such a twisted, evil soul that that's where he goes. And suddenly this becomes a worldwide epidemic to where you could have a, a scene from Outbreak dealing with Freddy Krueger. So instead of just cops at Springwood, Ohio, you can have some big government scene in the White House where you have a map. And instead of the Ebola outbreak, you've got the Freddy outbreak and how yeah, do we stop it? Because with that geographic limitation, I mean, not only does it make his character look stupid, everybody in that town is an idiot. <laughs> They're still there. Seriously. <laughs> it's like, the well, I, don't care, I don't care if any of you guys make it. Just leave town. <laughs> I mean, my God, especially by the time you get into the later movies, it's like, how many more people need to die mysteriously from the same figure that everybody's aware of? And you guys are all just kind of like, oh, yeah, that happens. It's <laughs> just a thing around here. What? Can we just Chernobyl this place and get the <laughs> fuck out of here? <laughs> build, build outside the city limits, build in the township, whatever it is. And just, yeah, what, it, it, it didn't make any sense. It doesn't hold up. Like you said, different era of storytelling, whatever. But 100, year, 100 years from now, somebody's flying around. Hey, Dan, what's that big 15-square-mile uh, block of concrete over there? Oh, that used to be Springwood, but uh, <laughs> we, pour, we poured about 80 billion gallons of concrete onto it. That, that it. Boy, that sure is a nice woods. That's the Blair Woods. We don't go in there. Why not? Because <laughs> Freddie lives in there. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, we're mixing everything. Freddie is yeah, the Blair but, Witch. Yeah, but that, that, was something, that was something that didn't work. Something else that I was kind of wondering about, and again, you can probably give me a better idea about this. Okay, so all of these people are under attack by Freddy, and, you know, they get picked off one by one, whatever. Do any of these people just, like, die from an accident from, I don't know, lack of sleep? Uh, not in any of the movies that I can think of. Like, no. you know, they fall asleep while they're driving or Oh, well yeah, do, I mean, do some have... kind of do have some kind of horrible accident because yeah, they're you've got... loopy without rest and, you know, Freddy got his revenge that way. It's like everybody doesn't always die in the dreams that he's after, do they? Well, that's where you get into this gray area of what exactly is Freddy's power? Because you have, uh, you know, some of uh, some of the movies are where, okay, 
uh, Freddy's killing you in some way in your dream and you die in real life somehow differently. So, uh, you know, part three, you've got a kid who's being controlled like a puppet by F Puppet Master Freddy and his nightmares, but in real life, all the people see is this kid sleepwalking and jumps off a bell tower. Mm -hmm. So you can explain that. But then you've got in another movie where a kid you know, dreams of getting sucked down into his waterbed and drowning in his waterbed. Right. But then when he wakes up, he's not like coughing up water and his parents see him. No, he's actually inside of his waterbed, which is sealed. So <laughs> it, like, wait, so how did he get into the waterbed <laughs> to die? So it doesn't make any sense. And that was a good thing that they did right off the bat in the reboot is that you actually see the first character in the movie to die from Freddy's hands is some kid in a diner having, he's like flashing back and forth between having the nightmare because he's been awake for so long that he's just kind of slipping in and out of his dream state. And in his dream state, Freddy's going to slash him. But in real life, the kid's taking a knife to his own throat because that's you know kind of what he's seeing in his dream and he has no control over it. But then you have other movies where... Yeah, he's getting you in your car, and then when the guy wakes up, he's in a car accident or something. But everything was always directly tied to Freddy doing something in the dream. But it was never one particular mode of operation. It was always there were just everything was all over the place. Like okay, because uh, again, I, I would find that scary if you know people that I knew just started beyond just trying to stay awake and everything like that, they started dying around me just because of accidents, because they weren't sleeping, because they were so terrified. I mean, isn't that part of part of his power and mystique and everything supposed to be the fact that uh, kind of like what you were saying about the original premise that Craven used about that poor kid who, like, couldn't sleep and ended up dying basically of terror? Yeah, everything? that would I be, mean, yeah, that'd be play great. that up. <laughs> exactly. That'd be a hell of a scene to see as you see a bunch of kids are just dying from, like, committing suicide or dying from heart failure because they haven't slept or, yeah, I mean, just the, that would just show the epidemic spreading, so to speak, of Freddy and make it a freaking worldwide epidemic. I mean, this is just something that everyone's having. Everyone's got to go to sleep. Yeah. And then something else that I kind of wondered about your opinion on this. It seems that on more than one occasion, I guess I'll just say, Freddy came into the real world. Yeah, well. Did, does that work? <laughs> well, there's three occasions where that happens, and there's three different explanations. In the original movie and the reboot, being so slavish to the original movie so those kind of count as one as the same thing where Nancy realizes she can pull him out into the real world and that's where she can kill him but again he's got going... those long sweater arms you know well sure <laughs> <laughs> he's got his hat that has his name stitch in it in the first movie which is hilarious why is his name did his mom stitch his name into his hat well you know you just got to make sure that there's no confusion that somebody else's fedora might have ended up after you woke up from your dream in exactly your room, right <laughs> but the problem is is that with that method is again it was meant to be Nancy's dream. So even when she 
quote-unquote wakes up and has the hat and she can pull him into the quote-unquote real world, that is still, within the boundaries of that movie, supposed to be still her dream. Right. Until she wakes up at the end. Okay, we go with original Wes Craven plan, not Bob Shea's, no, this needs to be a movie series plan. Original plan the real world of Nightmare on Elm Street, as far as like being the non-Freddy nightmare sleeping world, the only time we see it in that movie is at the very end when Nancy's talking with her mother. Which, again, then Bob Shea turns into, no, 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 it's still a dream. So it was supposed to be a Nightmare on Elm Street, so pulling him into the real world was still part of her dream. So mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. Okay. Then you have Freddy's dead, the final nightmare. They just did it because they did it in the first movie. So while well, we gotta, he, we're calling it Freddy's Dead. So let's pull him into the real world and then kill him. And so I don't, that doesn't even count. And then Freddy versus Jason did it because Freddy versus Jason, for all intents and purposes, did not shy away from the fact that this was kind of a supernatural mystic movie, mm-hmm. like a monster movie, is what sure. it was. Yeah. So they didn't shy away from that at all. So there was no reason to say, wait, no, you can pull him into the real world. What? Because you were already so far along into, wait, Godzilla versus Mothra. It's like, yeah, it's like (laughs) Godzilla versus Mothra. You've been watching for an hour and then finally an hour and ten. You're like, wait, that can't happen. No, you either go with it or you don't. And so that's why it worked in Freddy versus Jason. You were already that far along to like, okay. That's his MO, and that's what happens. You've so. bought into the reality at that point. You're in for the ride. Just go with it. Yeah, and it, yeah. I mean, it, you're, in a, you're in a supernatural monster movie, so they sure. weren't intending it to be. So all of those things, all those different methods, all mean the same thing. That's not what you do with this character. <laughs> it is a dream <laughs> element, and with the supernatural side... You take away what they were going for with the reboot where he's kind of like an allegorical memory. If you make him a supernatural boogeyman, no, no, no. His world is the dreams. Figure out some other way to stop him. He does not have to be brought into the real world. There just has to be something of getting mastery over your dreams, something in that sense. And that's the way if he becomes a world epidemic... You figure out, okay, everyone needs to band together. You get control or mastery over your dreams, and this is how we stop this son of a bitch. And figure out something there. I don't have an answer for it yet because we haven't written it, but I would say that's what has to happen. He does not come in the real world. Okay. I was just wondering <laughs> how you felt about that since, again, I'm I'm just kind of along for the ride more or less with this, so. Well, what would you say if you, if somebody came to you and said, all right, you need to remake Nightmare on Elm Street? Obviously, you'd have to go back and watch all the movies because sure, you're sure, getting sure. a paycheck. <laughs> and it would be a little bit better than listening to a podcast about the movies. Well, yes. But if somebody um, came and said, okay, based on this knowledge that you have, here, here's the things we need. We need Freddy Krueger in a red and green, green sweater, burnt up with a hat and finger knives, terrorizing kids in their dreams. Go. Okay. He does not get infected with devil sperm. Well, that would be step one. Yes. <laughs> this guy this guy is evil. We leave it at that. That's part of what makes him scary, because evil people are scary. 
and that's what made the first Halloween work right. so well, was that he was just the shape of evil. There is no explanation. Exactly. That's where the terror comes from. Uh, you might do, like I said before, some kind of setup where, uh, I, like I said, I don't care if it's a witch doctor or who it is, but just something that would link him to these powers to come type of setup and that type of thing. But yeah, not not the devil sperm Muppet thing that you described. That that sounds crazy. Um, no, it sounds crazy. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I I am fine with taking away the. Uh, you've reached the city limits now. Turn back around. And go Sorry, Freddie. You can't people, go past that type here. of thing. Something else that came up in uh, the podcast and some, and uh, I think about all the movies and everything was this idea that. Uh, he's got to kill people to keep getting stronger for something. He, yeah, that was early on, maybe uh, part three into part four, where he started to collect the souls. Mm-hmm. Like his thing was the more souls he kills of the children, he gets them in his chest and gets stronger. Okay, so, and what does that do exactly for you? Um, it causes him to get a level five power up, yeah. so that when he faces the big boss at the end of to, the game, he can to he get has a all new power. dirty hat. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what does that do for you? Yeah, if you're gonna power. if you're gonna introduce something like that, do something with it. Yeah, he does. He gets the power up in the video game, so he oh, gets stronger. Oh. And then when you put in a cheat code, Freddy's head gets really big. <laughs> <laughs> He gets a really huge glove hand to fight. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Flames of fury. He's got the power now. (laughs) Yeah, no, but seriously, it's like, okay, well, like you were saying, if it's just, if we're going to make it just straight up revenge and the guy's evil, well, that's fine. Um, But if you're going to introduce something like, okay, well, he kills to get stronger for something, well, okay, well, what is that? Um, Does he have other supernatural forces that could be a threat to him, that type of thing? Because, I mean, it's it always seemed to come down to the exact same premise over and over again. And, again, you can only go through so many stocks of teenagers before after a while. It's like, yes, this is extremely repetitive, so... Uh, going with the Godzilla kind of idea that you just brought up um, is part of the reason that he's got to try, try to stay strong because there are other forces out there kind of against him and maybe other people could try to team up with those forces and it might work out okay and it might work out horribly for them. I don't know, but I mean, it adds another layer of potential storytelling to the whole thing. Well, what I would say is without getting into too many details because I wouldn't have them I, the very generalized idea I would come up with kind of stems from Guardians of the Galaxy Okay. and let's explain <laughs> please do Yes. at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. is uh, the team bands together and when the four of them hold hands at the end they suddenly all have the power to overcome this big evil well if you have Freddy, and let's just say New Line says, we need three new movies about Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Fine. The first movie is set up of Freddy when he was alive and getting burnt, and then he comes back, and say there was a mob of 30 people who were pissed off and burnt him alive. Well, 
somebody had to light the match, so to speak, and maybe there's two or three other people who are up front who really helped out. Fine. So the first movie is Freddy going after the children and, in turn, after those people who were kind of at the head of the mob. That is plenty. All you need is maybe three, four, five people being terrorized by Freddy Mm -hmm. as he tries to get them. Then you can have Freddy as a character learning that he can gain more power just by or, or just learn more about the power he has and he can go into different people's dreams so it starts off as a revenge but because he is evil incarnate he wants to terrorize as many people as he can so it starts off as I just want to terrorize the people who killed me mm-hmm. and by the end of it he starts to realize he could actually terrorize everybody and in his gleeful evil way it's oh I could go all over the place and that's kind of how the first movie could end is, oh, I could go to Lithuania and terrorize them, too. That'd be fun. And so it becomes this global epidemic of having to stop Freddy for movies two and movies three until movie three. What you have is what they started to do with the Dream Warriors in part three band together and in a smaltzy way, which was always dealt with in the first few Nightmare movies as kind of like a Catholic evil. Everything had to do with his mother was a nun, and he had to be buried in hallowed ground, consecrated by holy water. And part four, he died in a church and had a cross beaming out of his stomach. Well, don't go Catholic and stuff. Just go power of positive thinking and spirituality or whatever it is. And the togetherness of people banding against him ultimately is what would defeat him is people being able to join hands in the dream world to get a, get a hold of their dreams and basically in a non-smulty way say the power of everyone together will fight against this one evil that's killing us individually we're stronger together than we are in our individual dreams and if you were going to do a trio of films, I mean, as Freddy's kind of uncovering certain things, have different people kind of uncover little hints and clues and ideas here of how they might be able to go about defeating him, too. Yeah, and I mean, it could be the witch doctor thing, and he's got anything that's physically tied to him here in the real world has to be destroyed, or uh, which they never really did. Uh, and that seems like that was an obvious thing for the way they were going in the 80s with those movies. It seemed like what really was obvious to me was that they really should have just gone off of, okay, he's attached to the real world and we've got his real glove here and his whatever. Let's burn all that. And once all that's gone, he'll disappear because the connection won't be there anymore or something. It doesn't even have to be that silly. But some sort of physical connection to the world is keeping him in the dream state or something, and it has to be destroyed. So, I mean, just anything like that where you have a band of people getting together, figuring out how to master their dreams, we're stronger together than we are apart. Freddie and back his backstory could show that he was a loner or something, and so it becomes this allegory of you're better together than you are alone because if you're alone, you turn into an evil killer for some reason, who wears a Christmas sweater. Well, yeah, we can we can delve into whatever kind of backstory you wanted to give Freddy, but yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, th- I think all of that would definitely add some dimension to it, and 
yeah, potentially set up some interesting twists and turns where it wouldn't just be a procedural. It wouldn't just be kind of the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and you wouldn't go the route of the 2010 reboot where they tried to take it into just super serious land. It's like you're dealing with a dream guy who kills you in your nightmares. <laughs> just uh, Let's just avoid the super serious bullshit and just play with the thing. I mean, uh, look, people, he's a he's a burnt dream monster. Just roll with it, okay? <laughs> yeah, and like so many people mention, the one of the problems with Jackie Earl Haley in the reboot was that they tried to make the makeup more realistic for what a burn victim has to deal with. And I know people who are burn victims. I know Afghan and Iraqi war veterans are burn victims, and I know that's exactly what they look like. But it takes you out when you're trying to have some sort of entertainment value of a horror movie where you're trying to follow this guy, good or bad. And sure, if he, if you, if burn scars really make you look like that, but he looked like a Muppet because he just kind of talked like that. Whereas Robert England's Freddy had all the articulation and, and made my brother want to go get a, ma- a Halloween mask to wear every year because it was you know, creepy and burnt and kind of clownish and demonish and had something supernatural to it because it was a piece of entertainment. And that's where they just fell flat Mm. in 2010 because, oh, no, 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 he was a pedophile and he looks like a real burnt victim and he's maybe five foot one. And anybody who's in this dream who's like a football teenager could probably just smash his head against a wall and he would be dead instantly. So it was just missteps every way, every step of the way when I think it really just boils down to you've got this guy who could be this supernatural killer. The way to go is not to ground it in reality, but just to really go with it and create the mythology and play with it because you're not creating the next Oscar winner. You're creating a freaking Nightmare on Elm Street movie. <laughs> and and there are some things that you can leave to mystery. Sure. <laughs> but show us something more than the three or four minutes of right. him out of the makeup. Just show a bit of the court drama. You don't have to show him in jail or psychotherapy or torturing little animals as a child because that's what they did in the Halloween reboot. No, show yeah, him no. he's a killer and then show him on trial and show the legal system screwing up and then whatever mysticism. I mean, maybe he was just a drifter or uh, some, you know, got some sort of voodoo man came up to him and gave him something <laughs> i don't know whatever it is that's yeah whatever it is power. just just something just by chance or by happenstance he was just some dumb uh, hickey guy who was a killer and I mean, he doesn't even have to be a smarmy guy i don't know I, you can go a million different ways with it, him out of character he could be a really smart ted bundy type guy we are really just out of his mind loon Charles Manson guy or he could just be some sort of uneducated hick killer type guy but you know find a way go with it find some sort of way to tie him in so that his mystical 
nightmare powers make some sort of semblance of logic in the storytelling and go from there. Agreed. So. Huh. So, hmm. how do we reboot Magnum P.I.? <laughs> <laughs> we wake up from this nightmare. That's uh, how we do it. This was a nightmare because I had to listen to myself talk for like an hour. Oh. So we're, we're all okay, or are we? Oh my Is God, we're dreaming? not awake! Oh God, <laughs> that's not how we're gonna end it. What is your? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what um, uh, you know? What What are your thoughts here? We'll close it up with with Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger. I mean, would you? W- would it be something that you ever would? go see or seek out or is this just the world of movies that just doesn't exist on any level for you um i don't know i mean the the general slasher horror movie genre film has never really enticed me a great deal i've seen uh, a fair amount of them uh again in various times and formats and all that kind of thing Again, if you can if you can add a little bit more to it like we've been talking about and really embrace the premise of the character and you know what you set up to be scary, I think yeah, I I might be a lot more up for it. If it's more just goofing around and throwing out puns and waiting for the next obvious person okay it's like okay well here's my checklist and okay well this person should be getting it in about five minutes i mean if, it, if it's that kind of thing then no i'm I'm not really big on that personally but eh. so, so what sort of tone would it take to to have a trailer come out and have you say oh i'd actually be interested in seeing that again have some menace to the freddy character show me effects have come so far and everything have fun with that my god you pay all of these digital artists millions of dollars a year to come up with interesting and unique environments and characters and all that kind of stuff well capitalize on that have some fun with it and not just have the digital effects for kills right but maybe he does some sort of torture but not in a saw I'm gonna watch you burn right. in real time torture but more of like a mystical dream world torture of some sort where you're you're he he figures out the worst fears of the people he's going after and causes the dreams to happen that way yeah exactly so it's not just everybody's dream is to end up on the front lawn of the freddy house with two <laughs> girls jump roping singing the freddy song because you know somebody's got a, a nightmare of waking up late for class so that's your nightmare and really play with what is this particular nightmare that that person would have and really roll with that so that your big set pieces of the movie are character based and that's what we always come back to start with the character so if you have a main character whose big fear is losing his job well that's a big set piece is Freddy's creating a nightmare of this character losing his job to the point where the guy can't wake up and can't get out of the nightmare until it ultimately kills him. 
Yeah. yeah. Freddy I mean, doesn't I... stab him with his glove. Freddy just keeps him in this damn nightmare world where he loses his job, loses his house, loses everything. He's living on the street. He withers away and has a heart attack. And then in real life, he has a heart attack and dies in his sleep. Yeah, and then you got other people who are dying in the real world from exhaustion and stress and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, play it up. Play up the premise. That's what would make me happy. Show me that. Give me some neat imagery to kind of look at. Make it something more creative than what the rote pattern became for this series. And yeah, I'd be on board. I'd check it out. Yeah, and the thing about the the horror aspect is you don't have to go that far down the horror realm mm-hmm. you have a nightmare on elm street where maybe everyone who's dying in the real world is ultimately from is is essentially stress related so the deaths in the real world aren't well he got stabbed by freddy in his dream so suddenly his guts are spilling out no what you have is everyone's dying from the stress of the dreams. So you have your people who are fighting to stay awake and they die because of a car crash or something, insomnia. But the main direct deaths caused by Freddy, so to speak, are all manifested in the real world by a brain aneurysm, a heart attack. But in the dream world, we're seeing the big set pieces of the movie where... You have a soldier who's trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan and can't wake up, and his worst nightmare is that everyone around him turns on him and shoots him, and he can't wake up, and he can't escape this nightmare world. So it's Freddy just fucking with these guys and giving them their worst nightmare, not, I'm a slasher with glove knives who's going to come up to you and slash you in the throat. Oh, killed you, and you're going to wake up with a slashed throat. That, Insert pun, strike a pose, next victim. Yeah, it really should be. <laughs> these are these people's worst nightmares that he now has the power to bring to life. And and something else that I don't think it sounds like they did enough of was play with some of those archetypes, play with some of those common fears that people have. Yeah, whatever they may be, infidelity and bankruptcy and uh, fear of death itself or fear of abandonment or flying, fear of flying, fear of falling, fear of heights, fear of water, whatever it is. And then just make an entire nightmare surrounding that. I mean, he says in Freddy versus Jason when he's fighting Jason one point. And I think, honestly, that might be the only time in the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series where he actually legitimately just straightforward goes up to someone and says, now, let's see what really scares you and kind of digs into his head. Mm. But he's talking to Jason Voorhees, for God's sakes, (laughs) in a monster movie. But it never came out in any of the other movies where he's like, ooh, let's see what really scares you so I can use it against you in your nightmare and Freddy's going to use your nightmares to get you, but it shouldn't be Freddy's going to use you in your, in your nightmares so you're so scared that you can turn around and, oh, he slashed you in the stomach with his finger knives just like he does everybody else. That's just lame and kind of just boring after it's a while. It's been done. Yeah, he, sh- he shouldn't be on the level of Freddy or of uh, Jason and Michael and Leatherface. He should be the guy who just causes 
nightmares to the point where people die in the real world from the fear of their nightmares. He's a fear goblin. Which, I mean, that would actually make it standalone, not be a slasher, and be more just exceptional. I mean, it would stand out a lot more as unique. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's my 450 cents on it, because that costs a lot <laughs> for how much I yapped about Fred Frederick J. Kruger. What's or, the J stand for? I don't know, but now as I think about it out loud, they really should just go with the South Park version of Freddy, where he now lives in solitude in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Fred. We need your help again. Kids are dreaming. <laughs> I told you I wasn't working for you anymore. I know what clips I'm using for this episode. Oh, apparently. <laughs> Any more nightmares? Nah, I think I'm ready to wake up from this one. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Okay, but ah! Uh...